0: What's up, y'all? I'm jumping on real quick to ask you all to do me a favor. If you are a listener of my podcast, make sure to leave me a review. I don't care if you've been listening from day one or if this is your first time listening. Go ahead and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Why? Well, the obvious reason is, of course, I want to hear from you all and I want to know how the episodes are landing with you. But the more important reason is when you leave a review, it helps other people to find my podcast. So ultimately, you are joining me in the quest to helping others become more culturally aware by spreading the word and helping them to walk a day in my culture. So after you hear this episode, take a few minutes at the end and leave me a review I'm thanking you in advance for being part of Making Cultural Change, one listen at a time and one review at a time. Alrighty, let's jump into the podcast. Maggie Lena Walker, 1867 to 1934. Maggie Lena Walker was the nation's first female bank president. She was organizer and founder of the St. Luke Bank and Trust Company of Richmond, Virginia. Mrs. Walker came from an impoverished family, but her personal status and wealth grew tremendously over the years. She was born in 1867, one of two children, to William Mitchell and Elizabeth Draper, who had been slaves belonging to the well known Van Loo family of Richmond. As a child, Maggie roamed through the gardens at the Van Loo Mansion, which was a station on the Underground Railroad. Mistress Elizabeth Van Loo had been a notorious Union spy and harbored Union soldiers after they escaped from Confederate prisons in Richmond. As a child, Maggie was a gifted student. She finished high school at the head of her class at age 16 and began a teaching career. Shortly after, she traded teaching for a position as Executive Secretary of the Independent Order of St. Luke Society. Within 10 years, she had been promoted to Grand Secretary Treasurer, a position she held for 35 years without any previous training she achieved immediate success for the order in the later 1800s insurance policies were unheard of for blacks the purpose of the order of saint luke was to assist sick and aged members and provide funeral and burial services maggie maintained the membership records later she conceived the notion of teaching members how to save and invest their money From this idea grew her plan for founding St. Luke Penny Savings Bank, of which she became president. When Maggie assumed the position of Secretary-Treasurer in 1899, the organization had about 3,400 members, but no reserves, no property, and inadequate staff. By 1924, not only has she increased the membership to 100000 but she had acquired a $100,000 office building, a cash revenue of about $70,000, and a full-time working staff of 55 along with 145 field workers also members could follow the course of her progress by reading the saint luke herald newspaper another venture she launched september 1890 maggie married armistad walker a well-to-do black businessman they had two sons after the birth of their first son russell mrs walker put his care into the hands of household servants and devoted the majority of her time to the order She moved up in rank, establishing new services with each advancement. In 1895, she formed the juvenile brand of the order and drafted governing laws. Her second son, Melvin, was born in 1897. In 1903, Mrs. Walker instigated the important move of changing the name of the St. Luke Penny Savings Bank to the St. Luke Bank and Trust Company. Later, it became the Consolidated Bank and Trust Company with Mrs. Walker as chairman of the board. Maggie Walker made giant strides in her lifetime. A solid citizen, respected by whites and blacks alike. She organized and stood at the helm of many civic organizations. The St. Luke Educational Fund to help black boys and girls get an education, organizer and president of the Council of Colored Women, She was a trustee of the National Training School in Washington, D.C., a national director of the NAACP, board member of the National Urban League, and an appointee of various governors of Virginia. She was also the prime mover in the establishment of a home of delinquent black girls in Richmond, She organized 1,400 women into a council, which paid the first $5,000 to purchase land for the Institute. She was prominent in all community enterprises and was the recipient of several honorary degrees. Blacks paid her a great honor in 1934 when national Black organizations declared the month of October, quote, Maggie L. Walker Month. One thousand statutes of her were placed in black homes, schools, and businesses across the country. She died later that same year. Hello, hello! Welcome to another episode of Walk a Day in My Culture. This is a podcast where I help you increase your cultural awareness by talking with you about the daily experiences I have as a Black woman. Now look, y'all already know what I'm about to say. I believe that if you can hear my experiences, you can hypothetically walk a day in my culture, which helps you to literally walk on the path of increasing your cultural awareness. Now, before I get into today's episode, I just want to give a quick, quick, like two-second update so to speak i want to let y'all know that this is the final episode of this season and it's not the final episode of the podcast i just want to make that clear i ain't going nowhere but it's the final episode of season one season one was such a success like i am so thankful to each and every one of you guys as my listeners like y'all the podcast has gone literally international in just six short months like can you believe that we have gone international and yes i said we because you guys as listeners is what helps the podcast move along and so i'm gonna say it again because i don't i don't know if y'all heard me though like literally we have gone international I have listeners in Canada hey Canada and I have listeners in the Philippines hey Philippines and so I just want to say that I so appreciate every single one of my listeners I really really do I thank you guys so much because again season one has just been such a hit. You guys be really listening to the episodes. I've been checking analytics and y'all be listening and I got like followers and stuff. So I just didn't think, you know, I'm always running my mouth and talking about something and being real raw and unapologetic. So I just, I wasn't, you know, expecting it to get international. I mean, well, you know, okay. So I feel blessed that y'all actually just want to hear what I have to say. So thank you so much for my listeners. So I ain't going nowhere. Um, I am just going to take a short little break, either two or three weeks. Um, So I will either be back on April the 22nd or April the 29th. Both of those are Wednesdays. You know, my podcast comes out on Wednesdays. Not sure which Wednesday I will be back, but I will be back before the end of April. So make sure that you have your Notifications turned on because we finna get lit in season two. I got some content for y'all. I mean, I'm excited. So, all right, (laughs) y'all, let's get into today's episode. Let me digress because I'm just going on talking. Anyway, today's episode is entitled, Take a Cultural Reflection. That was inspired by a conference call that I was on the other day. Um, And I haven't painted a picture for you guys in a long time. I ain't told like a good old story in a minute. And so let me just tell the story and paint the picture for y'all. And so, as you know, unfortunately, we are dealing with this COVID-19, which is just disrupting everybody's life globally. And so because of that, I was on a video conference as opposed to doing a face-to-face meeting. So you guys know that I do... Um, contract work, I do consultant, I do a little bit of private practice, but the bulk of my work now has transitioned to um, consultant and contract work and writing and stuff. And so I was on one of my little video calls. And, you know, this woman said something that I was just like, wow. So I'm gonna just tell y'all what she said, because I wrote it down. Okay, because it was just It was just, mm, I'm going to just let y'all meditate on it. But before I say what she say, I just want to name that this was a white woman who said this. And I think that that is very important and y'all going to see why in a moment. So we were on the call and we were just kind of talking about some things, um, And, you know, I'm not going to get into all of that because depending on what I'm talking about, y'all know I like to keep stuff confidential. And so we were just talking about some things um, that were, you know, needing to be talked about collectively. And so this woman said, and I quote, okay, she said, white people operate in a sense of anesthesia. Quickly, they can fall back to sleep or go back under when things change. And y'all, I liked to jump through the video conference. And let me tell you why. Because this white woman had clearly done her cultural work. Because just the eloquence of how she phrased it and how you can kind of visualize what happens when somebody goes under so to speak with anesthesia it just was so powerful and it was even more powerful coming from a white woman who i can say this much was advocating for cultural work to continue regardless of the platform that we have to do this cultural work right now right um and by platform i mean it not being face to face because of this COVID 19 and i just i was like that is amazing and so even if you've never been put to sleep i personally have been put to sleep before because i've had to have surgery um but even if you've never been put to sleep like for real to operate in a sense of anesthesia and to quickly fall back to sleep or go back under when things change i mean i just i I was like, that is amazing because it really got me to thinking at the the fact that like how important it is for us to really, really begin to like do our own self-work. So because this woman had done her own self-work, her own cultural work as a white woman, right? She could now be an advocate and assist in pushing white people who are not as conscious which I always tell y'all, right? Like I always say, sometimes it comes better from a white person than it does from a person of color. And like this woman had it on point. But not just did she have it on point and not not just did I feel like such gratitude to be able to kind of witness this um and kind of add that to like I've said a couple of podcast episodes ago where I had called, I think the episode is called, it just takes one. And this is a perfect example of what I was talking about. It just takes one white person or one black person or whatever your experience is, whatever your race is to make you feel like not all for me, not all white people are messed up. Right. And this was a perfect example of that because it was just that one woman on that call that made it very clear that she was trying to advocate. Right. But it also got me thinking about how important it is for us to do our own cultural work and to reflect like while doing our cultural work. Um, and you know we we got to do our own work too like I know we can go to trainings I know we can go to workshops I know we can consult with other people but sometimes you have to really do your own deep, reflective work and so I'm gonna break that down for y'all in a bunch of different areas um, after the commercial break now I'm going to try you know sometimes I get excited and don't be staying and sticking to the plan but I'm going to really try my best to break it down and break each little segment that I'm gonna do break it down in areas that I feel are important which are breaking it down for white folks breaking it down for non-Black people of color, and then breaking it down for Black folks. And so after this commercial break, I'ma start with um, kinda why doing reflection with yourself first is important. And then we'll break down, um, after you do your own self-reflection, the importance of reflecting on, um, what others bring up culturally. Okay. So go ahead, take you a little quick break, you know, go to the restroom or change your position, get you a snack, you know, get you something to drink, whatever it is that you need to do. Make sure you do it simultaneously while listening to the commercials, because you know, I got that second, um historical black woman embedded somewhere in one of these commercial breaks. So make sure that you listen and I shall be right back. Hey, you guys, this is the section of the commercial break where I give you all some updates on what's happening with my business. As I always say, I encourage you to listen to this whole commercial and the rest of the commercials because I have included some pretty cool cultural announcements throughout this episode. Also, I want you to remember that my business updates change. So do not assume that this commercial is the same as last week's episode because my commercials change from episode to episode. Um, you can just expect for it to randomly change. So make sure that you are always listening to it all the way through so that you can know what is happening and what updates are happening with my business. Alrighty. So what am I up to now? Well, let me catch you up. Um, Many of you know, I have been promoting my book, Understanding and Working Within the Issues in the Black Community, which was set to be released on September 18th. Yes, I said was. The release date is changing because I have decided to switch publishing companies. Now, I know that might seem like a bummer to y'all, but for me, this is actually very exciting because I feel confident that I'm making this decision at the right time, and I just really want to make sure that what I'm giving you guys is on point. And so I've decided to switch companies because I want to make sure my I's are dotted and my T's are crossed. And I really, really feel like that this is going to. Um, really be done with the company that I'm deciding to switch over to. So just keep out a listening ear for when the new release date for my book will be. Y'all already know what the book is about. You already know that this is the book for you. And in case you forgot, go on ahead and check out the description on my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. If you have already pre-ordered your book, a refund has been issued to you, um, but keep your coins, honey, because my book will be available for purchase sooner than you think, okay? So keep an eye out for that. What is still very much available for pre-order is my Cultural Edition Planner. That will be released still on November the 6th. Many of you know I make planners. I love to plan. And so when you combine my love for planning and my love for culture, who better to get you on your planning goals for next year than me? I really believe that being culturally aware is a daily journey and I am the perfect person to help you reach those goals because you got to be culturally aware year round, right? So go ahead, pre-order your planner on my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. You can find the planner for pre-order under the books and products tab. And that is also where you can find the description of my book, Understanding and Working Within the Issues in the Black Community. All right, y'all. These are the current updates for my business. Feel free to check them out on my website and they will help you bloom into your best self. All right, y'all, so I am back. So, I think the very first thing in regards to doing some cultural reflection and taking a moment to culturally reflect is the reflection really, really starts with you, right? So, if you guys listened to last week's episode, I made a comment and kind of named that, you know, sometimes it's not really you being unconscious. Um, Sometimes you are actually aware of what you're doing. The difference is, that the only person that knows that you know what you're doing is the person looking back at you in the mirror which is you right and so i really think that's why cultural reflection needs to start with you you need to really really reflect on your actions your behaviors and your thoughts right like it's almost it's almost like a, a CBT situation, lightweight, right? And for those of you who aren't therapists, um, CBT is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. And the way it's looked at is kind of like a little triangle, right? So your thoughts affect your behaviors, your behaviors affect, affect your actions. Um, and so they can just kind of triangle with each other. You can have thoughts at the bottom, at the top, behaviors on the to your right, um, actions, your um left and that it doesn't have to go in any particular order right so your actions can affect your thoughts your thoughts can affect your behaviors it doesn't matter and so the same thing kind of goes with cultural reflections right whatever your behaviors are towards a certain race of people that affects the way you think about those people and then that affects like your actions towards towards those people um And so I think it's really important that you just start really, really culturally reflecting on your role. And so we'll start with white folks. Um, And it's really just important to just really, really, really reflect on, I think the big thing I want to name here, and I think I'm lightweight hesitating because I'm trying to I'm trying to be fluffy. And I don't know why I keep doing that. Like this is the third week I'd be like, I'm trying to be fluffy. And I done already said I'm not doing that. So I think for white folks, I think you guys need to realize that there is some privilege that you have. Now Hello again. Yes, it's me. (laughs) I had to pause the podcast to just promote my monthly newsletter. Are you subscribed to my newsletter? If so, I really thank you for your subscription. It is greatly appreciated. If not, you are missing out. What are you waiting for? Go to my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself.com and sign up. I have two versions of my newsletter. I have a free version and I have a paid version. Both of them are outlined on my website so you can find out what subscription works best for you. Honestly, it's not an excuse for you to not subscribe. I mean, what do you have to lose? You have a free version and you have a paid version. Both versions are high quality. They are superb and you get cultural knowledge dropped on you every single month. So go subscribe. Again, go to my website www.bloomintoyourbestself.com. Look under newsletter subscriptions, read the description, see which one works for you. Again, they are both very high quality, regardless of if you have the free version or the paid version and sign up, like sign up, okay? All right, (laughs) let's get back into the rest of this podcast. I just wanna name that there is a thing called white privilege that actually does exist. And white people, you need to be aware of that. There is not any of this, oh, I, I grew up and I didn't have much and you know, I had to work for everything I had and I didn't have stuff handed to me on a silver spoon. That is not, no, you still got white privilege. Like it don't matter if you grew up on food stamps, okay? and with government assistance and a single parent home or in foster care, you still have white privilege. And the way I like to break white privilege down for people and especially white folks that like to challenge this is the simple fact that you can blend, so to speak. Um, Now there's so many other ways that I can break it down, but I'm just going, for the sake of not making this a three hour podcast, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just stick with blend. But the simple fact that you can blend, right? And one of my newsletters, a couple of years ago, I kind of used this example that me as of now, as a middle-class woman, and I say as of now, because I grew up low income, food stamps, all the whole nine yards, projects, you know, government assistance, all of that. And so I've not always been middle class. And you can put me in, you know, let's just say Walnut Creek, like dressed up and everything. And then you can pull a white person out of like the projects or like a low income situation. And you can kind of clean them up a little bit and you can plop us both in Walnut Creek and maybe let's say Nordstrom's and I bet you that white woman would not be followed around, even though she may not have the means to pay for anything in the store, whereas me, I would be followed around and looked at side-eye, right? And so that right there is white privilege. And so when thinking about self-reflecting white people, that's the first thing you need to self-reflect on is the fact that you do have white privilege. How does that privilege show up in your actions, in your behaviors, and how you are interacting with people um, that don't look like you. And how are you interacting with people that look like you when it's just folks that look like you around, right? Like really, really self-reflect on how you are engaging with other people. I think that's really, really important. Um, and then for non-Black people of color. And I think, I think I'm think i just gonna do this for all people of color, honestly. Um, unless something pops up in my mind, But I think for people of color, one thing that we have to do is really, really kind of respect each other, right? I think it's important to just self-reflect on our thoughts about one another. And so me as a black woman, what are my thoughts at of my Latina sister or my Asian sister? You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, or my Indian neighbor, like what is, what are my thoughts about that culture? Paying attention to those thoughts, are those thoughts appropriate and do they affect the way I interact with these people? Um, I think that's a really, really important thing to, to self-reflect. Are we putting our own stereotypes that like white folks don't put on us onto each other? You know what I mean? And like really, really think about those things. And again, I keep saying your thoughts affect how you interact with people and how you behave around people. And so really paying attention to how you are interacting. I know I keep saying it, I'm beating the dead horse, but it's really important to pay attention to those things. Um, And I almost feel like for black folks to not have this like internalized racism situation going on. And so that's a whole podcast for a whole nother day. But just briefly speaking, to never forget where you like come from as a black person. You know what I mean? Like to just never like turn your back or assimilate so much to the point that other people don't even recognize your blackness. Um, And just really self-reflecting on what messages you are telling yourself internally. Like what messages are you telling yourself about your melanin? What messages are you telling yourself about your hair what messages are you telling yourself about the way you speak and your dialect and how you present yourself and how you look do those messages line up with like your actual core values and how you were raised by your black family or do they line up with what white society says you should be like so really just reflect on those things and think about Think about that. And so those are my tips for starting off with some self-reflection. And I shall be right back after this commercial break, and we're going to continue on this conversation. I'll be right back. Have you ever wanted to receive services that truly consider your culture first? I mean, like really considered your culture first, not in a surface or fluffy way, but in a very deep, rich and validating way. Well, look no further. My husband and I have finally put our brains together on how we can provide services that consider your culture first. At Culture First Family Therapy and Training Services, we offer an array of services that help people truly become more culturally aware. From the trainings and workshops we develop and offer, to the consultations we provide, to training our supervisees to use their cultural lens when providing services to people of color, we believe in putting culture first. Go check out our website, and the services that we offer over at www.culturefirstwiththenumberone.org. with the number one.org. Again, that website is www.culturefirst.org. C U L T U R E, the number one st.org. We are so excited about this, and we just look forward to helping you embark on the journey of cultural awareness by learning how to put culture first. Phyllis Wheatley, born approximately 1753 and died in 1784. On an ordinary day in 1761, a ship docked in the Boston Harbor bearing a most precious cargo. Somewhere buried in its hall was a little slave girl of unknown origin. Some say she was from Ethiopia. Others say Senegal, West Africa. Judging from the loss of her first teeth, she could have been between the ages of six and eight. She was of no known parentage Slave captors did not record vital statistics, yet she was to leave her mark upon the chronicles of time. She became a pioneer in literary history, a poetess of the American Revolution, and the first black female poetess in the United States. She was Phyllis Wheatley. Phyllis Wheatley stood on the auction block, thin and frail, terrified, not understanding the noisy crowd of buyers surrounding her her small hand clutched at the dirty scanty piece of cloth half hiding her nakedness when suddenly a strange hand gentle led her to a carriage wherein she was greeted by a warm smiling face she had been purchased by john wheatley a wealthy merchant tailor for his wife susanna Mrs. Wheatley had been so touched by the pathetic appearance and modest look of this little black girl that she could not fight the swell of compassion in her heart. Once at the Wheatley home, Phyllis was treated as a daughter and assigned chores relative to the status of a lady. Mrs. Wheatley referred to her as, quote, my Phyllis. Phyllis was taught to read and write by the Wheatley's son and daughter. In short time, they learned that Phyllis possessed an unusual precocity. Within 16 months of her arrival, she had, quote, attained the English language to such a degree as to read any the most difficult parts of the sacred writings, end quote. She learned geography and history and became quite proficient in Latin. She was a privileged person. At age 14, she began writing poetry. It was not long before the knowledge of this gifted slave girl attracted the attention of the most distinguished Bostians. In 1770, Phyllis wrote her first published poem on the death of the Reverend Mr. George Whitefield, an elegy which came to the attention of the Countess of Huntington in England. Three years later, when Phyllis was sent to England for reasons of health, the Countess introduced her to the Lord Mayor and other members of nobility. Phyllis so impressed the noble crowd of England that before she left, the Countess had arranged to have a volume of her poems published. In 1773, the first book of poems by by an American black woman came off the press. It was consisted of palms of various subjects, religious and moral. To prove Phyllis' arthurship, a forward attesting to Phyllis's talent was signed by 18 prominent Massachusetts men, including the wealthy merchant John Hancock and the governor of the colony. Just before Phyllis was to be presented at court, she received word that her mistress was deathly ill. She hurried home after one month of historic success. Good fortune soon gave way to misfortune. Her mistress died in 1774, and her master died in 1778. Phyllis became a free person in the sense that she was not owned, but she became an instant slave of hard times, sadness and a life of poverty. The Revolutionary War changed her life as well as others. One month after the death of John Wheatley, she married a pseudo gentleman by the name of John Peters. Peters was not a good provider and Phyllis was forced to work as a servant. She bore two children who died almost immediately after birth. Phyllis' health failed, and soon death came for her and her third child. She and the child died within hours of each other on December 5th, 1784. Just before she died, she wrote a long poem entitled, Liberty and Peace. Okie dokie, so I am back. Now look, before I get into the second part of this podcast, I just gotta ask y'all, can y'all remember which historical Black woman named her daughter after Phyllis Wheatley? Can y'all remember it? Because I mean, ain't Phyllis amazing? She is just amazing, right? So can y'all remember, I read about the historical Black woman that named her daughter after Phyllis Whe- Wheatley. I'm saying her name wrong. Sorry. Can y'all remember? I just did this episode not too long ago. Let me give you a hint. Okay. So the hint is episode 28. I ain't going to tell you where she embedded in that episode, but that woman named her daughter after Phyllis Wheatley. I just, I think it's so amazing how, like, if you guys have been listening and following these black women intertwine in so many different ways. And so it's so fascinating and amazing to learn like about these women and how they like intertwine. I just, I love my blackness. I do. And I especially love the black women cause I am a black woman. So, all right. Anyway, I digress. Okay. So once you have reflected on your actions and your thoughts and your behaviors and you've done your own self-reflection you can then begin to reflect on others and their actions their thoughts and their behaviors but by that i don't mean reflecting on the negative i actually mean reflecting on kind of like the positive and their experiences and so like what this woman said in this video conference, I was able to really take a couple of days and reflect on what she said and took in what she said and actually was able to kind of silently witness and, you know, um, almost feel a little bit of honor of being in that space of the fact that the only way she could have come to that determination about feeling like white people operate in a sense of anesthesia was by doing her own work right there's no way she could have come to that without doing some deep cultural work and kind of digging up some stuff that might have been present for her and so once you're able to do your own work then you can reflect and take in on the experiences of other people and i think that that is like really really important that doesn't need to be broken down by white folks and non-black folks of color and black people and people of color. Like that's just a whole generalized thing where if you take a moment to do your own cultural reflection, you can then take a moment to culturally reflect on what somebody else outside of your culture has said has experienced and you can kind of let that sit with you for a while you can let it meditate with you for a while and it can help you when you are like continuing to do your cultural work and continuing to like be more culturally aware because you can't be culturally aware if all you do is focus on yourself right that's a big key to doing this work but at the same time The other key, or should I say the lock to open the door with the key, is for you to also be able to take in other people's experiences and reflect on kind of what they said, what they bring to the table, and not necessarily take it at heart. I know on that same video call, another um, white person made a comment and kind of said that white people have their own trauma and cultural trauma as well. Now, if I hadn't have gone through my own little experiences and did my own reflection, I would have immediately in my head been like, well, no, uh uh-uh, white folks ain't got no trauma. But that ain't true. It's just not true. Now, black folks listening, that might be a little, little aggravated with me saying that you might have to do a little more work. But it's the truth. White people do have their own traumatic experiences that they have engaged in and dealt with and been part of when doing cultural work. But I think the, the flip, or is it the flip? I don't know if that's the word, but I think the flip side of that is to not let that blind the moment and to still move forward doing the work and to not let white people's trauma take over experiences in the room, right? Like can be kind of the same thing that happened. You know, we've all heard of kind of like white tears and when white women kind of cry in these settings, just being really mindful of like how those tears show up, do they take away from people of color experiences in the room, but at the same time, being able to recognize the tears are true for that person. So again, it's a balance, it's a delicate balance. But if you do your own cultural reflection and self-reflection, you will be able to take in other people's cultural experiences and you will be able to grow and flourish culturally from that. Okay, so those are just some of my thoughts for today, some of my little bit of a rant. just about what, what can be beneficial when you are taking a cultural moment to reflect. So just remember, it starts with you. And also, once you do some cultural reflection, then you can reflect on what others are bringing, other people's experiences take their experience in and use it as a moment to help you increase your cultural awareness. Alrighty. So that's my rant for today. Make sure that you leave a comment. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. And the cultural tidbit that I want for y'all to do is going to be all about the different ways that you can utilize my services and all that good stuff that i be bringing y'all while I am on this little mini sabbatical. So I'm going to give y'all five cultural tidbits. Y'all ready? Okay. Number one, catch up on my episodes. Like, I mean, that's a no brainer. We all self quarantined up in the house anyway with the stay at home order. So if you behind, this is a great time for you to catch up on my episodes. You can find my episodes on almost all platforms iTunes, Apple Music, not Apple Music, but Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, like all these different platforms you can find me. Um you might as well catch up because next season it is going down even harder. So that's number 1, cultural tip and number 2, sign up for my newsletter. Like, why I gotta keep asking you? I am not exaggerating when I tell y'all on the commercials that my newsletters are really good. I am not just saying that. I promise you, like, I got enough subscribers that will vouch for me and say that my newsletters are good. Sign up for either the free version or the paid version. Go to my website, www.bloomintoyourbestself and see which one fits for you. They are both really good. It's no excuse because it's a free version. Sign up. Cultural tidbit number three is for you to follow me on Instagram, like follow me. I do a lot of stuff on Instagram. I'm very interactive on Instagram. Blooming to your best self is my handle, same as my website. And tip number four. Oh, I lied. I had said I was giving y'all five tips. I'm sorry. It's just it's just four. My bad. But tip number four is leave a review for the podcast. If you like the podcast, leave a review. Actually take a moment to like type some stuff out. Don't be on there hating though. Like, I mean, don't do it. You can leave a review, but don't be, don't come for me right? But let me know what you think about the podcast. I got to laugh at myself. I'm always saying something. Anyway, those are the four tips um, for the cultural tidbit of what you all can do. And before I get out of here, y'all can listen to some bloopers on me reading y'all these historical black folks because you know it don't always be no smooth read straight through like it be sounding so once i completely completely sign off from this episode continue to listen and i done threw in a few little bloopers to make y'all laugh because lord knows we need a little laughter in these times all righty it has been such a pleasure coming to y'all for a whole season so you know how it go until the next time we chat I really hope that you do something that'll help you bloom into your best self. And I am so excited to come back to y'all for season two, for you to join me so that you can walk another day in my culture. This better be the last time I read this. I ain't got the patience. Okay, here we go. She moved up in rank, establishing a new. No, that's not it. Look. New <sighs> services, which. Uh oh. Wait a minute. Oh, Jesus. Okay, take two. Sojourner Truth was the first Negro woman. At... What? Otterer. What? How do you say that (sighs) for his wife, Suzanne? Oh no, that's Susanna. Okay, all right, let's try again. Reverend Mr. George Wheatfield. Sorry, Whitefield and and Elijah. Okay, what? I did that, all right.